So we're talking about the truth about God's character. And remember that when we talk about the word truth, we're talking about the highest form of reality. And that just simply means that God's truth, His word, is the highest form of reality. And I just want to review a few things with you before we go further into the characteristics or the character and the nature of God tonight. We all know that He is omnipotent. Say good amen. He's all-powerful. We all know that He's omniscient, don't we, church? He is all-knowing. We also know that He is on, you know, omnipresent. He's everywhere present. But what we understand, though, is that uh, in a functional way, we see His character in the, in the you know, dimension of attributes, and that once you understand those attributes, it does something to your walk with God. To know God is to be confident in your God. Amen. In fact, there's nothing more faith-building than to know God's nature and His character. That you can trust Him implicitly. Amen. And so we talked about this, that um, a lot of people get their idea of the nature or character of God, but it doesn't come from the Word of God. It comes from what they experience in life. I'll tell you this, your experiences are so flaky, so fleeting, you do not want to base your understanding of God based on what you go through or what you see other people going through. Their experiences have nothing to do with the truth. You know, we have experiences sometimes that line up with God's Word. And how many know we go through things that do not reflect God's best or His will? Experience does not tell you anything really about His nature or about His character. Number two, world events. Aren't you glad you're not tied to world events for your understanding with God? You hear some really strange things about what God does and what He doesn't do. Events in the world do not tell you about the character or the nature of God. Amen. When a sawed-off shotgun of a, of a man like Hitler does what he does, that's not God. That's awful weak for this faith church tonight. That's not of God. God is a giver of life. Amen. But you'd be amazed. People sit back and they look at crime. They look at people being raped and pillaged and plundered and world war. And that's their image of who God is. Well, if God wanted to, He would stop. But can I tell you something? God did give you and me dominion and authority. And it's not God that's abused this world. It's man who has abused this world. But i got some good news for you. He's coming back. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? Say, He's coming back. And He's perfect. He's perfect in His governance. He's perfect in His character. And that's wonderful. Number three, philosophy. We don't define God's character by the hyper-intellectualism of men. Yes, you can appreciate approaching things in the Word of God, approaching God in general, and an understanding of your mind in, in terms of your rational ability, but you're never going to fully connect to God with your mind. This is one of the biggest uh, you know, erroneous things being taught right now, that you can somehow understand and connect with God mentally. How arrogant. Turn to somebody and tell them, you're just not that smart. Tell them you're good looking, but you're not that smart tonight. No, it's not what we have in terms of philosophy. And I heard some doozies when I was in college, and many of you heard some doozies as well. God getting blamed for things he didn't do, amen? And then not getting praised for the things that he actually does. Number four, it's not by feelings that we define God's character. Uh, I, def I really talk about... Uh, the emotional realm as the little darling in the church. It's the last great adventure. It's the last great bastion of victory. And, um, you know, we hear, we hear people talk about having a, a spirituality that is emotionally and healthy. What we need, amen, is, is, is spiritually healthy emotionality. Amen. In other words, emotions don't come first. Yeah, that's right. 
The health spiritually comes first. And then you have a revelation that if that's true, then your spirit man dominates. And you can check yourself in terms of what you think, but you can also check yourself in terms of what you feel. In other words, you can feel things without making those things Lord over your life. And you'd be amazed. You know, I've, I've been here a while. I've been in, in the ministry for a while. And I can tell you that an awful lot of people, even after sitting under the Word, still run their lives by what they feel. Your feelings are not anointed to guide your life. Let's, let alone try to define the character of God. Because if one day things are going well for you, well, then God is good. Then things go you know, the other way and they turn sour. Well, then God must not be good. No, God is good because God is good. Not because of what you're experiencing or what you're feeling or how somebody treats you. Never give God some kind of a judgment on his character based on how other people are treating you. Amen. In fact, the Bible says, Jay, all those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <laughs> You know, don't uh, define God's character by how other people treat you. Since we're going down this path, and I think I will, don't define God's character by how God's people act. That's true. Amen. Amen. Woo, listen to those amens. Y'all like y'all been through something or something. <laughs> Christians aren't perfect. Say with me, they're not perfect. You'd be amazed how many people will judge God by his people. No. That's not where you get his character. That's not where you understand his character and nature from. Sometimes we reflect his nature and character. But raise your hand if you ever did not reflect his character and his nature. Now, depending on how old you are, your hands went up. Amen. <laughs> Let me see him again. How many at some point in time did not reflect his character and nature? Okay, we see that. So how foolish is it for us to look at other people and say, well, God must be like that. No. God's character is not based on what we see in other people, not based on our feelings, not based on what we're going through. I'll say this again. God gave you your emotions. He gave you your feelings to experience this life. He did not give you feelings to run your life by those. You feel things, but you make decisions based on the Word of God, amen, and the promptings of the Holy Ghost. You see what I'm saying to you? You'd be amazed how many people are absolutely in the gutter of their emotional life and wonder why they keep going in circles or why they're defeated all the time. I tell you, you make up your mind to run your life by, the by your feelings. The devil will keep you on that mirror around all the days of your life. There'll always be somebody to rub you the wrong way. Say something wrong, do something wrong, amen, all of a sudden you're back in that same old groove again, run by your feelings. Number five, we don't define God's character and tradition by religion. Religious teachings handed down to us. What what grandma and them said and what they used to say and, and various colloquial sayings that aren't in the Word of God, but people take as Scripture. They're not really there. Amen. For example, you never know what God's going to do. Well, that's funny. Why would somebody say that when the Word of God was left for us so that we would know what God's going to do? What's the point of having the Word of God if that's true? People just say this stuff in reaction to their life experience, not realizing that they're impacting people's thinking and the way they view the Word of God. I'll often hear people talk about uh, being in the Reformed tradition, and they'll say things like, uh, well, you know, all that matters is sola scriptura. That means scriptures alone. That goes all the way back to Martin Luther and his revelation of justification by faith. But these same people then will deny the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I'm asking, what scripture did you get that from? So it's not always for these people, you know, sola scriptura, amen, it's filtera religio. And if you think I just made that up, I did make that up. 
It means a filter of religion. It's not in the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit is done working. We have never needed the Holy Ghost more in this world than we need His ministry right now. We need His people understanding and flowing in the things of the Spirit. And then you have crackpots, you know, trying to teach people that these things have ceased. These things no longer exist. Why? Sola Scriptura. I don't know what Sola Scriptura you're reading, but mine includes the book of Acts. Raise your hand if your Scriptures include the book of Acts. Okay, we're on the same page then. So you got to be careful getting your view of God's nature and character from religion. Number six, myths. People define God's character by ancient and contemporary mythology. That's man's attempt to explain by creating a mythology for it. You'll find out that man's idea of mythology usually includes gods that uh, are neither benevolent, they're not kind, they're capricious, you never know what they're going to do. You see how this seeps, you know, seeps into the Christian thought? Yes, the, the great gods and the foreign gods and things moving into our thinking push out the truth. The reality is that God is a good God. Yes. He is not capricious. He is benevolent. Yes. In fact, if people would just serve Him, they'd find out just how benevolent He really is. Come on, say, He's a good God. And that's just one dimension of His character. Does that make sense tonight? Um, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. I was listening to one person who uh, absolutely hit a home with their thinking. They came out of witchcraft and came out of wicked and came out of a family that was steeped in, in Satanism for years. And watch this. They noticed that a lot of people that were, that were atheists won't believe that God has power today, but they'll believe that Satan has power. Well, listen carefully. If you believe that Satan has power, how could God not have power? Amen. The good news is the devil has been stripped concerning you. Aren't you glad? Jim Caviezel said it this way. He said, there are more people in the body of Christ that are afraid of the devil than they are of God. A lot of people live in the wrong way in the body of Christ or live in the way because they don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. That's true. That's true. Amen. Better watch out that devil will get you. No, he's a defeated foe. But you have to watch out for what the devil is, his influence, amen, his reasoning, his thoughts, his temptation. That's the kind of thing you have to deal with as a child of God. Aren't you glad the nature of God is not based in any of these things? Amen. Well, if it's not based in experience or world events or philosophy or feelings or religion or myths, what is God's character and nature based off of? It's based off of an end, the Word of God. We can only understand God through the revelation of the Word of God. Say it with me. I can only understand God's nature and His character by revelation of the Word of God. Now, that word revelation is not unimportant. There are a lot of people that hear the Word but never hear the Word. They're ever hearing, but they're really never actually grasping its understanding. This is a function of the Word of God. So when you're, when you're reading your Bible yourself or you're seeking God yourself, you have to rely on the Holy Spirit who is the true teacher of the church. If you understand this, say amen. The pastor is not the true teacher of the church. <laughs> Who's the true teacher? The Holy Ghost is the true teacher of the church. Now in a setting like this, you have what I am communicating in the scriptures I am reading, and then there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the revelation of God's Word, the revelation of His character and nature through the Word of God is going to come by revelation. 
Now, I thank God one day I finally began to understand throughout all the religion, all the mythology, all the nonsense, all the experiences, and I had some experiences just like you that could have sent me the other way, but instead I turned towards the Lord. All of that was replaced with a very firm and strong understanding that my, the, God, you know, the nature of God is good. Amen. Say, He is so good. Is so Say it like this, He is too good. <laughs> has He been good to you? Yes. I said, has He been good to you? Yes. Has it been good to you? Yes. Why? Because that's his nature. Yeah. Now that revelation is not going to come from your experiences. It's not going to come from mythology. It's not going to come from what the world says. It's not going to come from religion. It's going to come from the Word. So when I run into somebody who categorically does not understand the nature of God, I know they don't have much revelation of his Word. Because this word screams his nature on every page. Amen. Are you here? Yes. What's the big deal? Why is this so important? Why is it so important to understand God's character and nature? And before we go further in those characteristics, you know, understanding those attributes of God, it's important to understand this and understand this question, the answer to this question. First of all, his character and nature reveals God's method of dealing with mankind. If you don't understand his nature and his character, you're not going to have a clue how he deals with mankind. And I can tell you this, that uh, the same Jesus that came in as a donkey is the same Jesus coming in one day as a triumphant warrior. Same God. Uh, in fact, how many know the Bible tells us that when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. the Father? One big, huge categorical error that people make in terms of their hermeneutics and understanding interpretation of Scripture is they see the God of the Old Testament as different from the God of the New Testament. They see the God of the Old Testament as having a happy trigger finger, just waiting to bash somebody in the head. The history proves otherwise. He has dealt with some nations hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I often will contrast that with what happened during World War II. We jumped into the war. We were attacked, you know, at Pearl Harbor. And by 1945, the whole thing is wrapped up. In about five years' time, this tyrant is put down by the efforts of us and our allies around the world. And we didn't put up with him for what? Four or five years. God has put up with people for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden they come across a narrative in the Old Testament and they see where our God has suddenly and finally judged this situation. Oh, that's horrible. That's terrible that he would do that. Before you judge God on the narrative, go to the backstory and see what these people have done. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, there's a time when Egypt persecuted Israel horribly, yeah. enslaved the Hebrews and treated them horribly. Yes. And there was a day when God delivered them. But there was also a day, and this happened in our lifetime, unless you're a real spring chicken here. About Ellie's age, she wouldn't remember this. She's just too young. <laughs> but there was a man named Menachem Begin who sat down with an Egyptian named Anwar Sadat and instituted the first peace treaty between the Arab nation and Israel in our lifetime. Many others have happened since that time, but they were the first it was shortly thereafter that Sadat was assassinated because of his friendship extended to Israel. Why would I bring that up? Because if you'll read the book of Isaiah, God doesn't have horrible things to say about Egypt. 
He has some very kind things to say about the future of Egypt. In other words, every single nation, there's a judgment of the nations. Say that a judgment, judgment of, the nations. of the nations. I will not do a seminar on Revelation tonight. I'll leave that to Hilton Sutton. Amen. Amen. Oh, you can't. He's with, he's with Jesus right now, so you can't. <laughs> but there's a judgment of the nations. So what's the basis for the judgment of the nations? It's really, really simple. How they treated Israel. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It still says, I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. You better hope and better pray this nation continues to bless and help and support and defend Israel. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Because when we get to that point in time, we want this nation to be judged, amen, as a being a lover of this nation. Well, why is this important? You're not going to understand God's dealings with man if you don't understand his nature and his character. He is very long-suffering. Yes, he is. Yes. Amen. Number two tonight, it's important to understand God's character and nature because his character and nature reveals his will for mankind. If you don't know his nature and character, you're never going to be settled on his will. I know uh, from Scripture that he's a giver of life. He's a healer. That's a pretty weak response for a full gospel church. Amen. <laughs> Say it. He's a healer. Well, how do I know that? Because I see his character and nature in Scripture personified even in the Old Testament. Even providing what? A serpent on a pole. And those that looked upon that pole were what? We're healed. Is that the heart of God? Yes. He said, I'm the God that healeth thee. Yes. He sent forth his word and he, he healed, healed him. Them. All of these things were said before Jesus ever walked this earth. That's right. Amen. Say it with me. Revelation, Revelation. of his nature, of his nature. Helps, you helps you understand his will. His will. So when I was a baby Christian, everybody say baby Christian. Baby Christian. Is it okay to be a baby Christian? Yes. As long as you grow. When you're 80 years old, still wearing a diaper spiritually, it's time to grow up. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and that's why I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I was astounded to find that not one time did Jesus ever turn someone down for healing. Amen. Well, Aunt Martha prayed to get healed and it didn't happen. You appealed automatically and knee-jerkingly to your experience. You didn't appeal to Scripture to talk about the nature of God. The moment somebody does that, you're on two different pages. Right. Everybody has their experience. Everybody has their encounter. But the scripture stands. It's eternal. Yes. Turn us to mind and say what happened to your aunt is not inerrant, authoritative. It's not the truth. The truth is the word of God. And he didn't turn down anyone. Why would he not? Because his nature and his character reveal his will. I get tickled when people say that uh, all Jesus cares, all God cares about is that you become like him. And that's the whole point of the year of transformation. How many are glad you're conforming to his image? Amen. Aren't you glad he's making you into who he is? Yes. Are you growing? Yes. Are you becoming more like him? Yes. Yeah, so the process is the transformation. We're dealing with glorification right now. He is transforming us. What a wonderful thing that it is. But that doesn't take away from any covenant promise that he made. No, no, that's right. 
All he cares about is you being forgiven and going to heaven. That's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? Yes. Aren't you glad you're going to heaven? <laughs> and you still believe it's real. But that's not all that he promised. See, people take his covenant and say, well, this is, this is valid, this isn't valid, this is part of it, this is not part of it. It's all part of it. Yes, it is. The same blood that purchased your forgiveness purchased your healing. Yes, the psalmist saw in Psalm 103 and he said, Amen. Uh -huh. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget all his benefits. benefits. Whose benefits? Yes. His benefits, which means this was God's idea, not our idea. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. Now notice, those two are sandwiched right next to each other. Telling you what? This is what you call a covenantal, amen, atoning reference. It's dealing with the blood of Jesus, and it's everything that He has provided for you. Don't leave anything on the table. Uh, here's a tip for you. Uh, when you die and go to heaven, you're not going to need healing anymore. When you're raptured, <laughs> you don't need to be healed anymore. <laughs> you, have been, <laughs> you have been healed. Here's a new one for you. Uh, when you're dead, <laughs> some of you are way ahead of me. <laughs> The provision for your welfare is for the now. That's right. There are lots of things on the other side you're just not going to need. That's right. But down here, you need a saline power. Yes, this is just an example that his character and nature will show us what his will is. Amen. It's not something you beg and plead, oh, wish you would do this. Oh, oh, God, please have mercy on me. You don't show your kindness to anybody else, but please have mercy on me. It's his nature. It's a wonderful thing to come to an understanding tonight. It's his nature to forgive. Amen. We've talked about mercy. We'll talk more about his mercy. But he is merciful. Yes. But he is also kind. He's gracious. He's a healer. Yes. So his nature is to do what? To heal. To heal. What's your nature? To be healed. <laughs> One. Did you see how fast she came to that? Yeah. <laughs> Our nature used to be to sin with impunity. That's no longer who you are. It's really a mystery. The Christian who's born again has now been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That person no longer is forced to sin. Before Christ, you were forced to sin. But now, if you sin, <laughs> you do it by choice. I do not. Yeah, you do. Okay, something happened and you got born again. Your spirit man is perfected and fully glorified at this moment. Think about that. What's on the inside of you is very powerful, which means that if you choose to go against God's will and against His Word, it's something you chose to do. You weren't forced to do it. The devil made me do it. No. Now, I don't like that, Pastor, because that means I'm responsible. Bingo. You're responsible. Yes, you are. 
Number three, the character and nature of God reveals our example as human beings. Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God as dear children. If we don't understand His nature, we will never understand what our character should be like as well. Or we'll say, well, that's just God. We're not supposed to be like that. Anything we talk about in terms of His attributes, God is expecting you to be the same way. It's not God has these attributes and then we into this, we can never be this. No, you're being made to conform to the image of Christ. You're called to be imitators of God as dear children. So any of these attributes that we talk about, you're supposed to be emulating God. Amen? Amen. So for example, if He is merciful... One of the most powerful things I ever heard Brother Puckett say in Mayfield was error on the side of mercy. Let them say you were too merciful. When's the last time somebody accused you of that? <laughs> Moving right along. A minute. So let's just review this one for just a moment. Number one, God is merciful. That is a principal attribute of God. It's Revealed in His grace. Amen. It's by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2.8. That is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In Romans 9.15, He says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy on, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So that it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Say, He's merciful. He's merciful. So how did I... And explain mercy. Well, think about grace, but think about how long-suffering he is. Think about how patient he is. Has he been patient with you? Yes. How many times has he corrected you on something? Yes. That long? <laughs> Raise your hand if he's had to correct you more than once on something, and you're still a work in progress. Why didn't he just lower the boom? Isn't the other shoe going to drop? Well, you know what? There is accountability. And you can run yourself into a wall. But how many glad he's merciful? And have you ever created a problem when you did not do what he told you to do? Raise your hand if you've ever created a mess. Now, we're always good about pointing out the messes other people got us into. But here's a, here's a revelation for you tonight. Most of your messes are self-induced. What does mercy do? Mercy doesn't leave you in the pit. It doesn't leave you in there to sit there and wallow. Mercy is God's desire to alleviate the distress that we caused by conflicting with His Word. And even if somebody else is responsible, and that does happen, He is still merciful to us. Say it with me. He'll lift me up, lift me out, Put me back on a solid rock. Again, in Psalm 103, He redeems your life from what? From the pit. It's outstanding to me that He doesn't care how you got there. He's more concerned about getting you out. You talk to some people, they want to lecture you about how you got there. What I need is a rope. I tell you what, talk to me how I got here after you get me out. 
He alleviates us from the distress that we caused. Mercy. I love this scripture in Psalm 145.8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. It means He's predisposed to show favor. God help us to be like that. As soon as we see somebody, we're predisposed to help them. Predisposed to give them favor. Literally, it means He stoops down to lift us up. Why does He stoop down? Because He's up here. Amen. Amen. Said he stoops down, he stoops down to, lift to lift us up. He is merciful. He is gracious. Come on, say it boldly. He is predisposed to show me favor. He's merciful. Lamentations 3.22. Through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You believe that? Yes. Say, great, great is, is your faithfulness. Did you blow it today? There's new mercies. Amen. Did you make a mistake last year? New mercies. Amen. Well, when's the mercy going to run out? Not today. Are you here? <laughs> now, whatever attribute he walks in by his nature, he expects that to be your nature. That's right. So your guy is supposed to be predisposed to show people mercy. mercy and favor. And when you see them in a pit, your first reaction should be not to laugh at them, lecture them, poke at them, but do what? You want to be predisposed to stoop down to lift them out. Matthew 18 is a great illustration of this where you have a man who owed a million dollars and he begged his way out of it and pleaded for mercy, and, and the debt was canceled. He went out and found somebody that owed him $20. <laughs> Man, you can't eat a couple Happy Meals for that. <laughs> and he, he pled for mercy, you know, give me time. I, I, he's, you know, exhort you. And he wouldn't do it. The problem is that God is aware of this entire scenario. How is the mercy you and I have been given translate into the mercy that we give? Do you know that it got back to the master what he did to this man that owed him $20? And you say, what else happened? That man who owed the huge debt had his entire debt restored to him. Now, I want you to think not in terms of money, but I want you to think in terms of sin, your sin debt. Do you realize that no matter how much debt you're in tonight, you may be in $5 debt, you may be in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, but that does not compare to the sin debt. How many of you love to have your entire sin debt restored? No, This side, no. This side, not so sure. Not that bad. <laughs> Let me ask that question again. How many would not like to see your sin debt no. restored? No, no, no. Well, I don't know where you're getting that doctrine from, Pastor. It's very clear. He said in his word, if you will not forgive your brother from your heart, 
There's a consistent teaching that says that, yes, forgiveness and grace is available. But you must be a person of great grace and mercy and forgive. In fact, forgiveness is your superpower. You know that it can wipe out anything. Amen. It's not that you don't mentally know about it. You've chosen to forgive despite the memory of it. When God speaks of uh, East and West and, you know, sea of forgetfulness, it's not that he somehow no longer has the mental ability to recall all of our sin. That's just not the basis where we, that he judges us. He literally sees us through proverbial rose-colored glasses. What would that be? The blood of his son. And we should be looking at people the same way. Now today, there is an absolutely uh, a hyper-emphasis on trauma in the body of Christ. Now there are people who really have been traumatized. But just because you didn't get your way doesn't mean you're traumatized. It means you're babified. It's time to take the pacifier out of your mouth. <laughs> and I, I think about this. I think, uh, I mean, kids traumatized because they don't get their way or traumatized because somebody makes them work or traumatized because they're criticized or traumatized because they're held to a high standard or traumatized because somehow, you know, they're receiving some, some critical feedback and, oh, I can't function because everything's so terrible. I think I'm, I'm think I'm traumatized. You know, now I need to go through a series of counselors for the next 50 years of my life and don't, I misunderstand there's a value for Christian counselors that are word people, spirit-filled people, amen, who are going to direct them down the path of what God thinks about that. Are you here? But I'm thinking to myself, who is the most traumatized person to ever walk on the face of this planet? He was born in what the outsider would see as an illegitimate relationship. No doubt he would have been called those horrible names as he grew up. Them not understanding what Mary and Joseph knew. He grew up. His entire family rejected him and thinking he's crazy. He did nothing but good to everyone. Blessed, healed, fed, encouraged, delivered, did nothing. Accused of those horrible things. Arraigned in a kangaroo court beat to a pulp, hung on a cross to take on all the sin of all mankind for all time, all the sickness for all mankind for all time, all the bondages for all mankind, amen, for all time. And he's on a cross. And the first thing comes out of his mouth is, I need counsel. I need a therapist. Here's the power of mercy. Here's the power of walking in the character of God. We're not talking about the character of man. We're not talking about the character of a denomination or religion. We're not talking about the character of some preacher. We're talking about the character of God. The expectations for you and for me are high. Here is my nature. Now this is what I expect of you. He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
Come on, shout that out. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There is some wisdom there. You're dealing with a lot of dum-dums out there, and they don't know what they're doing. Some of them are just plain stupid. No awareness of what they're doing is harming you or somebody else. But it doesn't matter. Because if you will choose to walk in the, in the attribute of the mercy of God, you can release that superpower. What? It is a supernatural force. It's not just a, a term. It's not just something you put on a plaque at a Christian bookstore. It's a supernatural force. Look at somebody say, it's my superpower. You want to get to the place where you really can't be touched? You can't touch this? Get in the habit of releasing the force of forgiveness instead of becoming, amen, stigmatized, amen. And someone has to keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. How long do you have to talk about something before you're going to get over it? How many relationships are you going to burn to the ground before you get over it? How many times are going to stop attacking people who've never done anything wrong to you? Because now you are transferring that anger to somebody else. You can cut through all that stuff with forgiveness. There's something on the inside of us sometimes, though. We just want to make them pay. Be careful. You might just be that man in Matthew 18. Amen. Think about Joseph. Everybody say, thank God for the mercy and the grace and long-suffering nature of God. Did I mention this to you, that if God is long-suffering, He expects you to be too? Merciful too? That's just for God and special Christians. <laughs> no. That mentality shows you there is a, a deficit in our spiritual formation in our Western Christianity. It's not, well, you know, God knows we could never be like that. No, He expects you to be like that. He wants you to operate in His power. He also wants you to operate in His character and in His nature. It's not Joseph's fault that his dad favored him. It's not his fault that he was given a coat of many colors. It's not his fault that he saw the presence of God on his life. But instantly his family despised him, mistreated him. Who knows the things they said behind his back. When the opportunity came, they did what to him? Threw him in a pit. One of them killed him. One of his older brothers stood in the gap and said, no, we're not going to do this. This will be too hard and too much grief for you know, our, our father to bear. I'm not going to have any part of that. So they sold him instead in slavery. <laughs> he goes into Potiphar's house, and how many know the, the presence of God is all over him? How many know when God's on you, can't keep you down? When God is with you, you'll be blessed, and so will those around you. Some of you don't realize this, but some folks around you are blessed because of you. They're blessed by association. Look at somebody smile and say, you're blessed by association. I just can't help them blessed. <laughs> and so what happens is his, you know, Potiphar's hussy of a wife starts pursuing Joseph. And the, uh, you know, the intent of the narrative is tell us it wasn't a one-time shot. He had to block and re <laughs> 
you know, rebuke those advances over and over again. And one time he, he leaves without his coat. And what does she do? Perfectly godly, innocent man gets accused of rape. And Potiphar, even though he was blessed by Joseph's presence, allows him to go into prison. Amen. Fast forward, he interprets the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. Amen. One is restored. The other one gets his bread cut off. <laughs> his only request is remember me, which they don't. But finally, when Pharaoh has a dream he can't understand, a remembrance comes to the restored ones. Oh, there's a guy over down in jail. He could help you out here. And what does he do? He gives them the understanding and he also has the wisdom of what to do about it. And this same kid becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Now think about this. If anybody needed counsel, if anybody was in trauma, it was Joseph. And though he toyed with his family when they finally showed up, and though he shed some tears over the whole thing, we don't know if it was tears of disgust or just because he missed them, he's grateful to see them again. All I know is we don't have any record of him taking retribution on the family that treated him so poorly. You know what he did? Joseph pulled out his superpower. I don't have time to walk around a victim in trauma all the days of my life. We're going to starve to death if we don't get going here. Israel needs what I have, amen? And Egypt needs what I have as well. He pulled out his superpower of the mercy of God and forgave him. Amen. Surely by now you know that mercy and grace and forgiveness, uh, they don't set the person that harmed you free. They set you free. Say so that I'm free. I have a superpower. Traumatized? I think about the World War II vets coming back and the things they saw. Like my, my dad's uncle, Jocko Johnny, who was in seven, eight different nations, who traveled with Patton, who saw most of his unit replenished over and over and over again because of the deaths. How he made it back home and lived to be 90-something years old is a miracle of God. They say when he got back home, he could take a 22 rifle and shoot between the eyes of a squirrel to kill it. That's how good he was. He was minding his own business, doing what a lot of those guys did. They came back and they medicated themselves mostly with alcohol. And he'd sit underneath a tree with a big, you know, old tub of beer all nice. And that's what he would do. When he got tired of that, he'd go into the tavern. And one day they said he had too much to drink. And this new deputy thought he would tell him to go home and, and get some rest. And just like that, he disarmed that deputy, had that man's pistol against his forehead, and he said, you know what, I've killed so many men, I can't count, I can't remember. One more is not going to make any difference to me at this point. If I say traumatized. We're not dealing with a generation that's traumatized. We're dealing with a generation now that's been whimperized. But no matter where you're at on that spectrum, right? Forgiveness is the answer. Go on, shout it out. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Mercy, Mercy is my superpower. If you're going to live on this planet, you're going to get hurt. Friends, family. If you've got a God that loves you and a faithful spouse, amen. 
and a few good Christian friends, you're blessed. You are not going to get through this earth without getting stabbed in the back. No. In fact, Dr. Barclay says there's always a Judas operating in every church at all times. <laughs> Look at somebody say, it's not me. <laughs> That's just the way things are. You got people operating against you. What you going to do? Sit down on a stump until Jesus comes. You're going to pull out your superpower. Jesus was called to the setting of this woman taken in adultery in John 8. The mercy he showed is staggering. Showed him what God really thinks about people who are called in sin. And he said, where are those lying accusers? And has none remained here to accuse you? Neither do I condemn thee. But watch what he said. Mercy is, amen, and grace is receiving forgiveness for things that have been done, but it also gives you power not to do it again. Yes. It is not merciful to tell people that the story stops with, neither do I condemn thee. Because the wages of sin is still death. Real mercy is going to do what they can to get that person out of that. Does that make sense? Amen. So today what's happened is people have misunderstood God's mercy and long-suffering for tolerance. Yeah. It's not tolerance or acceptance. It's long-suffering, grace, and mercy. Amen. Amen. Say it, forgiveness, forgiveness is, is my, superpower. my superpower. Say it, it's His nature. It's His, it's his character. And it's my nature and character as well. I think probably all of us could spend some time repenting for not being as merciful as we should have been. Amen. That's true. Amen. I mean, like right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but be mindful of this. That if God is merciful, it's wonderful to talk of God is merciful. God, get a particular religious voice on God is merciful. Yeah, by saying that, you're acknowledging He also expects you to be yes. That's right. merciful as well. Let's give Him a hand clap and thank Him tonight. <laughs>